Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. We're back with an... Why are you giving me a weird look? Because it was, seemed wa- odd that we were back? I was listening did, to you. Did, did I get the title wrong? I was listening to okay. you. It, it was weird. I got a I got an odd look. It was like are I did something wrong. Are you trying to say I don't listen to you? No, I was trying to say that you were giving me a look like I screwed it up. Well, you have all of the potential of screwing it up, but just I had there to charge you do it yet. Okay, okay, there is unlimited potential for the screw to get... <laughs> My point exactly. <laughs> okay, do you unlimited want to take a deep breath and start Unlimited potential for the show to get screwed up. Uh-huh. As we have just unintentionally displayed, because that really was not planned at all. <laughs> no part about that was actually planned. Um, do you want to take a deep breath and try that intro again? And then we'll call all of this before this, like the cold open or something. Oh, no. We're, 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 we're rolling with it. We're going with we're, it. We're going. All right. Well, for the two people we still have left listening. <laughs> They're used to this. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, a Monaco weekend. And as always, we have thoughts. But before we get into any of those discussions, as... <laughs> What? We, Sometimes our thoughts are just, wow, this sucked. But I think we had a little bit more than that. We have thoughts. Yes. And you opinions. Know, <laughs> we have those every week. Sometimes they're coherent, unlike, oh. Right Orla- now? <laughs> oh, oh I, actually, I was going to say, unlike Orlando Bloom talking to Martin Brundle on the. Oh, that I mean, was bad. Admittedly, he got better. But when he started, I was really kind of wondering what he had been smoking or if the party had gotten out of control. I was more thinking that somebody didn't write him a script, and apparently he only works on script. Well, he got much better when he had something to talk about. It was that initial, I don't know, 20 seconds that the words were English. I'm not sure that they were supposed to go into a sentence that way (laughs) (laughs) okay between that and then immediately following that interesting conversation and and i say that with with air quotes really really big air quotes um sky commas there was the encounter with the red bull actually at, at this point he might be the former red bull mechanic who was screaming what was up his bottom i mean and and i'm not even sure who he was talking to and all i can say is i think what he was yelling about as a result of his yelling probably actually came true well (laughs) i do not believe he was cussing at martin i think he was cussing around martin but it was almost as if he got right up in martin's microphone and dropped a few f-bombs like yeah whoa right in front of christian horner yeah yeah so so that that's why i'm kind of thinking one what he was predicting in his little rant actually came true and he might now be a former red bull mechanic he's at least sitting on the naughty step but i think the thing that we have learned is there's no delay in the ESPN coverage. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, in the Sky Sports and the world... Actually, no, that wasn't the world feed. That was the Sky Sports feed. Exactly. But ESPN directly takes it from <clears throat> the Sky feed, but they're not putting a delay in it. Well, they're not. But, you know, think about it. When NBC Sports was running it, they weren't necessarily running with a delay either. Because we had a couple of times that Buxton had to apologize for... Um, somebody's outburst. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe that's a sports thing that they don't run a delay, but you know, you're so used to it in the states that there's a, a delay to so that they could bleep that stuff out. It was a little weird to suddenly hear bleepity bleep bleep, and they bleeped uh, angry Seb like when Seb went off. But that yeah, is but that's delayed the radio, and we know the radio's delayed. delayed. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, before we do anything, we know everybody is waiting for the results of the Fantasy GP this week. Everybody? Everybody. Well, except for that one person. Yeah, but they don't count. Anyway. I was lightning before the thunder. Thunder. Low-scoring predictions kept the results tight in Monaco. 
Michaels Mach 5 Racing won the weekend with 167 points, just 5 points ahead of Trisha's The Bird Team at 162 points. Jim's There's No Crying in Baseball was 3rd at 140 points. Phil's Team Rocket was 4th on 128 points, while the boys Moonlit Black Cat struggled into 5th with 111 points, and Vicky's House Cats came in with just 95 points on the weekend. In the overall standings, Michael's Mach 5 Racing remains in 1st place with 1,044 points, but Trisha's The Bird Team moves back into 2nd with 945 points on the season, just 3 points ahead of Team Rocket. The rest of the standings remain unchanged with Jim in 4th on 899 points, followed by The Boy in 5th with 852 points, and Vicky's House Cats in 6th with 654 points. There's still time to join us for free by signing up at www.fantasygp.com and then entering the league code 148 31491. That's 148 31491. Lightning and the Thunder. Thunder. Feel the Thunder. Lightning and the Thunder. Thunder. So, Lightning McQueen ran the Monaco Grand Prix? No, it was Stormy Weather. Oh. No, I just thought the song was pretty good. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, so apparently I moved up to second place. And, it, I mean, it got tight this weekend, just at the top. Mm-hmm. Although I cleared some space finally. So you two can keep fighting. I, I, I'll take more space. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. No, but the, the scores were really low. Well, Overall, they they were really low this weekend. I mean, there were some surprises in the the results. One, Perez starting from the back, um, which would have changed people's predictions because I know I predicted Perez to be up at the top. Yeah. Um, I predicted the Ferraris to do a whole lot better, and it was looking pretty dang good. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't. Well, um. hello, Ferraris. <laughs> um, Hamilton got fastest lap. He. Did, but I mean, let, let's be honest. That's because he managed to set that fastest lap on slicks before the rain came. Because once the rain came, there was no way anybody was going to beat that. Well, exactly. But that's one of those ever reminders mm-hmm. that timing is everything. You saw it all the way through qualifying. It was the last people behind on the across the line that were top of the sessions because the track was evolving and. You want to make sure that you get those laps in in case something gets red flagged or rain comes. And that's just one of those extra reminders. Things change all the time. Especially at Monaco. I mean, that that is what Monaco is known for. And, you know, we'll dig into that in a bit. But we've got some other news that happened beforehand. And the first story, honestly, it almost slipped by me. Because it got a whole lot less coverage than the initial announcement at the beginning of the year that um, Red Bull was considering selling off Alpha Tori or moving the team, and they were trying to assess and decide what to do. So, you know, we already know Franz Toast has announced he was retiring at the end of the year anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but we now have a decision from Helmut Marco around what's he what he plans on doing with the team, and. Essentially, it's a whole lot of nothing. Well, that's why it didn't get any press. Well, but it was settling something. So what he has decided is that he will actually not sell the team and that he's not going to move the team. What he is going to do is the team will have um, more of a presence in the UK. So the team already has some presence outside of the Red Bull facility in Milton Keynes. Apparently, that's where their aerodynamic team is, is it's in the UK. So they're going to beef that team up somehow. I don't know if it's because there's, they think that there's weakness in aerodynamics or just why the heck not. Is, is are, Have they hired <clears throat> Nui as a part-timer or something like that? I don't know. I'm, I'm, well, actually, I don't know if they can actually do that. You know, all we want is Nui's cast-off drawings. Yeah. The, I, just the give me his garbage re- can. Yeah, the stuff that he rejected is not as good. That's what we'll take. Yeah. We just want Nui's garbage can. Is that too much to ask? Yeah. Or does that start another scandal? Possibly. Garbage can gate. Yes. Dumpster gate. Nui gate. I wasn't going to go there just yet. 
Because, you know, it, unless he was handing it over, I didn't want to implicate him in this scandal that has not yet occurred. The scandal that is not <laughs> actually a scandal. But I thought Dumpster Gate actually already happened. I thought that was in the dumpster. Um, You're thinking with uh, the whole Ferrari McLaren stolen plans and that bit? I thought somebody had found plans in a dumpster. That was the initial claim. Uh, but that wasn't anywhere, anywhere close, close to, to what the happened. truth. Okay, that was Spygate, is what we're referring to. Yeah, so and, not Dumpster Gate. Yeah, that, that was that, the lie of Dumpster Gate. Right. I just don't want to reuse a gate if we don't have to. Got it. Now, you know, as a hard left tangent that we will spend next to no time on, has anybody ever figured out why now? I mean, since Watergate, every scandal has to end in gate because of the drama around it, and because somebody was not creative. We couldn't have picked any other, like, tail end of the... No, it's all... Everything's now a gate. All right, come up with something else. Not right now. <laughs> but since you brought it up, without us digging into it, but, you know, I, I, I think it's fair for folks to understand what the heck you're referring to. Um, better explanation than we could give right now is open up your... After you finish listening to the show, not before, um, open up your favorite podcast application and do a search for the BBC uh, podcast Sports Oddest Crimes, I believe it's called Spygate. If you just search for Spygate, you'll find it. Um, But it's a BBC podcast. I want to say it's about five or six episodes that walks through what this whole scandal was. And it is really, I mean... It, it is bizarre how it worked. A Ferrari engineer who was ticked off, Nigel Stepney, for not getting a promotion, quit, took a whole load of documents and plans, handed them to a McLaren engineer who gave them to his wife to bring to a local copy shop in, in Woking and asked them to make copies of it. And the owner of the copy shop, who is a Ferrari fan, said, hey, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Why do you have this stuff? And all of this is in the backdrop of Hamilton's uh, rookie, rookie season, season, the gearing up of the Hamilton Alonso. Um, well, this was the, the Hamilton Alonso fight. fight. Um, they're at McLaren. I mean, all of these different things are playing in. The number of connections and pieces of that story are just mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And especially as you put it up against the landscape of today's Formula One. So highly recommend it. It's um, fascinating. It's probably more interesting than anything we're going to get post-writer strike on the <laughs> Well, there's the that too. <laughs> so you might as well. Uh, everybody's going to need some entertainment. So go with that. Um, But circling back to what is now in the real world, and we are no longer discussing a mythical not scandal that we just created of Dumpster Gate. (laughs) Yeah. What else is in the news? Well, I'm going to call it, and I'm going to say that silly season has begun. We're moving drivers already? The rumors, as a result of all kinds of stuff happening. So number one, and, you know, you mentioning Fernando Alonso, perfect tie into this. So this week we got actually a fairly major announcement that Honda is returning to Formula One for 2026 and they are partnering with Aston Martin as their works team. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Okay. Let's just review for a second. You remember a few weeks, months, however many episodes ago it was, and we were talking about, you know, engine manufacturers that were keeping their thumbs in Mm -hmm. Formula One, and we both questioned why Honda was on the list, because didn't they say, you know, we're packing up our toys, we're getting out of here? They did. They, They said that the direction that Formula One was going was not in alignment with their efforts to, um... Essentially, their their carbon neutrality and environmental efforts to clean up their manufacturing and what what the engines that they produce. So Honda's now going. Just kidding, haha. So what Honda says is is what attracted them. It wasn't the fact that you know Lawrence threw lots of money at them. 
no, not they're not saying that. And they're not saying that it was the, oh, wow, right after we left, Red Bull won a constructors and a, two drivers championships with our engines that we said we didn't think were good enough. Um, what they claim that it was, was Formula One's net zero carbon efforts, that those are in line with their corporate goals and objectives and the look at cleaner fuels and the look at um, greater electrification and hybridization of the cars in the new engine rules is what made it attractive for them to return. And of course, since Red Bull was no longer an option to be a partner, now it was Lawrence Stroll, you know, and his dump truck full of money. Got it. Um, okay, but there's another little weirdness here. Okay. Um, wasn't, I could be wrong, wasn't it Fernando Alonso that called Honda GP2 engines? <sighs> Not just that. I mean, if, if, if you want to look even bigger picture than that, as to how bad the blood is between Honda and Fernando. Recall also that in his second attempt at the Indy 500 with McLaren, Honda outright refused to allow McLaren to run Honda engines at the Indy 500 for Fernando. Well, they forced him to go to Chevy's. Never mind the fact that those are two totally different divisions at Honda. But prior, the whole reason for that was that Fernando, publicly, because Fernando is so good at shooting himself in his own foot, had said so many ridiculously bad things oh, about Honda. Oh, all of those things were all knock-ons. Absolutely. So is there any part of this deal that says that Honda will provide the engine as long as Fernando doesn't drive it? Officially, we don't know. Unofficially? Unofficially. So what we have heard from Mike Crack, and, and this this would start after, because Fernando's on a two-year deal. Mm-hmm. So there is always that distinct possibility that Fernando could not get picked up. Um, we do know, obviously, from past actions that... Lawrence wants a world champion driver in his car and probably at least recognizes the fact that Lance is not that driver. But Lance will have a a seat for as long as Lance wants to have a seat. Um, Mike Crack has come out and said, and he is the team principal over over at Aston Martin, for those who don't remember, um, Mike Crack has come out and said that there's no, there's, quote, no reason that Fernando could not be driving for the team in 26. However, a lot of folks have been talking about the fact that Honda's deals with Red Bull included a stipulation that if they had a driver, they wanted them in one of the two teams, which is how Yuki Tsunoda got his seat. Mm -hmm. Yuki's still technically part of Honda's driver development program. So there's been a lot of talk of Yuki could be a potential candidate to make a move in 26. We don't know. Hmm. But I think there's probably a decent chance, especially if Fernando's not winning, that Honda may put their foot down and say, Fernando's not driving a 100-power car because if it doesn't go his way, we don't want to deal with his mouth again. Well, there's that. But also keep in mind, Fernando is 40. And I think that if Fernando does not retire at the end of this year, it becomes one of the standard questions on the predictions, much like Kemi, because he should be starting to look to retire. I, well, it, it, it'll have to be next year anyway, because he's on a two-year contract, mm-hmm. if we were to do it. I think the big difference, though, between Kimmy and Fernando is that Fernando's performing much better than Kimi did. Kimi was not regularly getting on podiums at Ferrari when we were questioning this. Fernando has been. And well, as long as that's the case, that the answer as to whether or not he's going to retire is going to be no. 
Well, yes, he's <clears throat> getting on podiums. I, I think it was very funny that um, David Cothard mentioned that he was Mr. Consistent because he's getting second place. Well, he's been getting thirds. So this is his first second. This is his first second. Yeah. But he's been, he has been just generally Mr. Consistent. And he's carrying that team right now. So mm-hmm. there's, there's no incentive for Lawrence to send Fernando away. That's, I think if Seb was seeing the same results that Ferrari was, or that Fernando was seeing, Seb wouldn't have retired last year. Right, but Seb's not 40. He's not, but that's, in this case, I don't think age is going to be the issue. It's going to be how he is performing and the team is performing that's going to drive him to whether or not to make the call. So I don't think it's going to be an age thing. Fernando has said he, he will race until he thinks he's not capable of doing it anymore. Interesting. So. Interesting. Which is, I mean, kind of interesting when you compare that to, uh, you know, young Mr. Verstappen, who's already saying he doesn't think that he's going to renew his contract in 28. But for a very different reason. Because he wants to race other things. And, And I think that's actually a really good reason. And it's fair of this idea of there's other series that I want to be in and it's not just that it has to be Formula One and I'm only going to consider these other series when I'm not competitive in Formula One anymore. I, I think that's fair and, and, and I think that's a good approach if you don't view that Formula One is the absolute tippy top of the top and there's other thing, there's other hills that I want to conquer that are just as big. And from that standpoint yes i also think that it's it's very telling when you also remember that by the end of that contract he will have been in formula one for 14 years yeah i think that's a long time to ride to drive in formula one Mm -hmm. so so the other bit of silly season news and it came out during the canceled imola weekend and and i kind of blew it off because i didn't really think that there were any legs to the story it, it got a, a few more legs not much and that was a rumor that came out in the italian press stating that ferrari had approached lewis hamilton with a fairly large contract to come join a team interesting so rather than us trying to provide the response. I've got the words actually directly from Lewis and Lewis's statement. And I want to play it because there were a couple of things that I thought were very interesting in his statement. Yeah, I think naturally with uh, when you're in the contract negotiations, there's always going to be spec- speculation. And I think ultimately that's, uh, unless you hear from me, then that's what it is. So, Where do you think these stories have come from? Uh, well, there's a certain individual in this room that's written... Uh, at least one of them, but um, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think maybe with the weekend, uh, last weekend with the race being cancelled, maybe they just got bored and started to. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think as I said, uh, we uh, my team's like working closely behind the scenes with Toto. We're almost at the end of um, having the contract ready, so. Um, they're enabling, having the team focus on that so I can just do my job. That's it's a much better position than I was in before because I remember I used to do all my no- negotiations on my own and it was very stressful. So I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Well, I think that little bombshell at the very end is huge. He's mm-hmm. done his own negotiations in the past and it's always been such a pain in the bottom. He's got a team doing it now. Uh, finally, Lewis, good job. Good job. Well, Proud was, of you. <laughs> he went back to how he was doing it. You know, we, we had he had made this move a couple of years ago, and he had said he had done it because Seb was doing it. And he thought, the only thing that I can think of was that since he was winning world championships, he thought, well, why, why the heck not? What do I have to lose? And I think even back then we said this was a really stupid idea. Mm-hmm. You don't need to let, let the experts deal with it and, and worry about other things. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that he made that move. And that was why I wanted to keep that clip in there. Because we we heard an announcement when he started doing that negotiation. We didn't hear anything when, when he brought the team back in. 
<laughs> no, that was a little quieter. But yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to hear he's got a team that's working on it and has separated himself from that process because he's right. That's stressful and it's something he does not need on top of all of the other things that are going wrong with his season. Yeah. Um, as to the, the whole Ferrari rumor. So, yeah, Lewis says, no, there's been no talks. We don't know where this came from because we've heard from Fred, you know, as we call him back at the shop. Mm. Um, we've heard from Fred Visser over at Ferrari that they didn't approach him. The only thing that we can think of is that some executive did this spitball of, wouldn't it be cool if we, you know, approached Lewis and could get Lewis? We'd have to offer him a lot of money. And some journalist sitting in a Montana restaurant over in uh, Marinello went, oh, they went and approached him. It's the only thing I can think of as to where this story has come from. Because Lewis has said repeatedly for the last, what? 15 years, if not longer than that. I owe Mercedes everything. Mm -hmm. It's Mercedes that brought me up through the Junior Series. It's Mercedes that supported me all through McLaren. It's Mercedes where I have won. It is in Mercedes-powered cars that I have won all of my championships. I owe them everything. I will be Mercedes forever, even when I'm out of Formula One. Well, But a Ferrari customer, probably. I'm sure. Well, we know he owns a Pagani, so. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, he's also, he's in his, in Ferrari's defense, he's also said things like every little boy grows up wanting to drive drive the the little red cars. So, you know, there's that too. But I'd be stunned. More like, my guess is that, you know, because we know everybody knows everybody. My guess is that somebody on the Ferrari team picked up the phone and called Lewis's team and said, hey, I know you're negotiating with Mercedes. Is there any interest in getting a proposal from Ferrari? And that is translates to they gave him a proposal. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, pick up the anybody anybody interested or maybe they got a proposal from ferrari to use as a negotiating leverage with uh mercedes but i think it's got no legs yeah i i don't think it's going anywhere i'm a little surprised because we have been hearing for what two months now maybe maybe since the start of the season that lewis's contract extension is close I think close is a really different term for Lewis and Mercedes than it is for the rest of the world. Probably. Because we've heard it from both sides. I'm pretty sure that like the first time they said it was they basically put the names on the contract, like the top, you know, this is a contract between Lewis Hamilton and and Mercedes, uh, AMG Formula One. And that was, that was close. They got both names on the printed contract, but they hadn't gotten through the terms yet. I'm kind of wondering if given some of the things that Lewis has said about how he was not listened to with the design of the car and the feedback and stuff like that, if he's pushing for some kind of terms around, you know, if I tell you to do something and you don't listen and the car doesn't perform, that he gets some kind of additional compensation or something like that. That could be interesting. Or it's the... You know, he wants payment if points are, you know, his championship points are down on the season or something like that. I'm kind of wondering if that's what it is of this feeling of I'm still at the top of my game and you guys aren't delivering me a car and that's costing me and you need to make up for it. There's a possibility. I mean, honestly, no idea how those contracts are fully structured so this weekend we got to see the changes to mercedes and before we talk about them i i I got exclusive audio nobody else has this audio of the discussions that were going on at the within the mercedes design and engineering team for these upgrades and what they needed to do to fix their problem nobody else has this audio 
I tell you what you do, you just take them dang old spark plugs out and then that little hole, you just put a little hole around there, just like Bobby Hunter said, it's like it'd go boom, boom, just like that. <laughs> I would have bought it <laughs> if that had been a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you had grabbed audio from... Um, Clarkson's farm, the guy that there's, it's unintelligible. Gerald. Gerald. <laughs> I would have bought it. <laughs> you missed, you missed that opportunity. Um, yeah. That is almost as good as the game plan is to go faster than Lewis. I mean, that's. Yeah. That's, that's, Nico Rosberg's plan to how to win a championship. Just beat Lewis. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> but now. <clears throat> Sadly, this car should have rolled out in Imola, as yeah. so many other things should have happened in Imola. Um, rolling it out in Monaco, probably less than ideal, but radically different car that came off the... Well, according to Mercedes, it's about six different changes that have been made. And they they sound kind of minor, but when you look at it side by side, especially the overhead shot of... Um, Miami and Monaco as to how the car looks it is significantly different not the least of which and, and probably most notably is the side pod design officially zero pod is dead mm-hmm. it is a failed experiment and Mercedes is moving on however there are still constraints that because of the chassis design to accommodate zero side pod that they're still dealing with yeah, I had heard a description, um, I believe it was from Martin Brundle, about, you know, they they were already with a compromised car, and so they had to make other compromises mm-hmm. to try to move it forward. So it's a series of compromises here. So the six changes that were made, essentially. So the first was over in the front suspension. Um, they moved the top wishbone forward leg inboard. Um, they lifted that up. Um Essentially, what this does is it improves the flow into the side pod and improves cooling performance, which, especially in warmer conditions, has been a challenge for them. Um, They made a local load change in the fence camber of the floor fences. Those are the, the, well, we used to call it the AeroCat way back when, um, but the, the veins that you see on the floor to either side of the driver, those are the floor fences. They've made a load change in the fence camber that's uh, resulting in increased local load and improved flow flow back to the diffuser. This change is expected to bring more downforce to the car. Um, The noticeable one is the side pod inlet. That brought that change from zero side pod to what we have now. It's a wide and high side pod inlet that improves flow to the floor edge that, again, results in more floor load and improved flow to the rear corner. That is going to help with the porpoising. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gives them the, the stability they need back there that the other stiffening that maybe that they've put in place that makes it more challenging, they can take some of that out. Um, but the side pod inlet handles that. Now, in terms of the side pods and bodywork, increased bodywork width removal of zero side pod, increases local downforce and also improves the flow to the rear wing assembly and rear corner. On the rear wing, there's increased camber of the rear wing flaps um, and that gives increased rear wing load, which drops the pressure behind the car, increasing rear floor load. So it moves where the downforce is and, and changes drag. Hopefully it gives them more downforce while reducing drag at the same time. Um, And finally, they made changes to the rear brake duct winglets. So they've got a second cascade of cake tin winglets added to the additional winglet array for adding local winglet load. This will drop the pressure behind the lower suspension legs, increasing load on these two. Again, improving downforce, improving stability, while hopefully not increasing drag. Well, so... We saw this new car in action in mm-hmm. Monaco, and 
I don't think it's, you know, the second coming or anything like that. I don't think it's a return to the amazing years of, of Mercedes. But it did seem a little better. So according to Toto Wolf, the car has moved. And, and again, this is just comparing Monaco to Monaco. Okay. Um, they have gone from awful to not good. Well, that sounds like a big improvement to me. And, you know, he admits that it's difficult in Monaco for them to assess for a lot of reasons. You know, we've talked about how tight it is. The speeds are so much lower, all of that. But also traditionally, Monaco's not a great track for Mercedes and hasn't been for years, even when they were winning championships. Monaco's not a great track for them. They don't do well at the slow, tight, twisty tracks. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of hard to assess. And, And Toto says that, he thinks that with the cars really up into the mix with the Ferraris and the Aston Martins, the track probably flattered them more than the upgrades did. And they don't know if really the car truly belongs up there just yet. The good news is our next race is Barcelona. Which is the test track. Yes. So in terms of getting a good understanding of how much the performances change, especially since the car was tested in Barcelona preseason. This should give them a very good idea of the impact of these. Um, the other thing that Toto says that they're not quite sure to, sure of just yet because they haven't had real running with the, these upgrades is exactly how to set up the car mm. to maximize them. And again, Monaco's not a great place to figure that stuff out. No, it's not. But hopefully they will figure it out quickly in free practice one and two. Yeah, and honestly, what I would expect when we get to Barcelona is, one, they probably won't be doing particularly great in free practice one. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if we see the Flovis and all the, the measuring rakes and stuff like that get bolted onto the car so that they can get a clear picture in free practice one of what everything is doing. Mm. Um, and that free practice one for Mercedes and probably for a lot of the teams will be more of a true testing session than a practice and warm-up session. Well, the good news is, and we've said this for a very long time, they run Barcelona so much Mm -hmm. that the reality is the drivers don't need a whole lot of practice to run that track. They, this is about getting the car set up right more than it is the drivers knowing what the flow of that track is, looks like. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that makes Barcelona great and awful at the same time, because it does tend to be like, they've already maximized all their corners. You, you know, they're all the drivers are so practiced at that track. So, you know, overall the car did, I think, better than a lot of folks expected so one of the questions i have for you okay is going into this weekend because we knew that monaco was not going to be great testing ground for the mercedes car and we knew that they weren't going to learn everything and we weren't going to go oh my this is the best car that's ever mercedes has ever built the goal really was we had lowered our expectations to get it to the point that the drivers could trust the car because we knew that that was part of the problem Mm -hmm. was that this car was so unmanageable that the drivers had lost trust so they weren't pushing it to what it could have been done do you think that we have at least gotten a modicum of trust back in the car for russell and hamilton i'm gonna say no only because it's monaco because the speeds are so much slower um Lewis put it in the wall um, and then you had the rain on top of it which threw things off that much more I I don't think that's going to come until probably Saturday morning at the earliest in Barcelona Okay. Um, yeah they ended up in 4th and 5th they weren't that far down on, on well like Toto said, they they were challenging, at the very least, they were challenging the Ferraris. They were challenging Ocon in third. Could they have done better on a better track? I don't know. Okay. And and, and that's, 
it, it's so hard to tell here. Um, now, George does think that he could have had a fairly comfortable third place. Wow. So what he says is, um, and, and what the team says, is Esteban's slow pit stop put George far enough ahead that George thought that he could have held on to third even after the rain and everything else because the stop was so slow. What cost him that and caused him, oh, on top of that, the five-second penalty was, so as you'll recall, lap 55, rain's coming down. There was that bizarre session section where, um, I think it was over by, the, the runoff over by Sandaboat. Um, Lance Stroll drifted off into the runoff area. George says that he got distracted by the yellow flags from Lance going into the runoff, which caused him to lose control. And we were in the onboard, and that's why it was a little confusing when that whole thing went down. We were in the onboard for George. The, the world feed was showing that. And you could see Lance was trying to back out. Then they cut to George. George ends up in, in the runoff area as well, which is why Lance stopped. What we didn't see until a lot later was George was given, I guess, bad instructions to return to the track, and he backed into Sergio Perez. Oh. Yeah. It, it It's... The only thing I can think of is that the team didn't tell George what was coming or to wait or anything like that, and he tried to pull out to clear for Lance, but that unsafe return to the track we saw the investigation come up we had no idea why mm -hmm. and it seemed like at the time when it came up it seemed like it had something to do with the pit stop but it wasn't clear what the heck was going on it wasn't until a lot later that we saw the replay because he had the off there that allowed Ocon to get in front of him again and obviously then there was the penalty and all of the other issues. And, and that meant that he lost the third. But he thought he could have gotten a third out of that. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, in my mind, that may be the beginnings of some rebuilding of trust. It may be. Um, this, this, I, I think this weekend was kind of a mixed bag in terms of the race. Um, I think there were some positives. <sighs> It, you know, it, the last couple of years, and I think the questions still need to be asked of, is the track still right for Formula One? You know, the the plus side, I think we had better TV coverage this year. The, this year, it was not produced by the local Monaco production team who, who struggled with it in the past. Mm -hmm. um, at the, the World Feed did it, but we still lost shockingly some very important parts of the weekend you know max having blister more than once to be clear more than once a blistering third sector on saturday that we didn't see right or we didn't see until much later esteban Ocon's lap that vaulted him up in the third we never saw that and to be honest that one actually had a double problem. One, we didn't see it the first time mm -hmm. going through. But then it got buried because there was a series of people bumping up all the way to yeah. the top. So, you know, he had this blistering lap, but then right on his heels, Alonso had the blistering lap. And then right on his heels, Verstappen has. Yeah. And so Ocon's lap just got buried in the excitement of everybody else's amazing lap. But, I mean, I think that was one of the positives for the weekend was... That qualifying session was probably one of the more exciting qualifyings that we've had in a while anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that was fantastic. You know, some of the other positives, the helicopter shot. And, and this is the first time we've ever had a helicopter in Monaco shooting pictures. And obviously there's still clearance concerns because those shots were from a lot higher up than we normally see. But honestly, with the exception of, oh, the start and trying to show the overhead there, which the, the helicopter was too far for, I think the helicopter shots 
were a huge improvement for Monaco because it really gave you an idea like we've never had before how that race loops through that town and how much the town is stacked on each other, let alone the track. Oh, yeah. And truthfully, it makes that hairpin even more hairpin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I we weren't very far in the race when you declared I really like the helicopter shots, and I was with you. I was with you with that. The the other change that, that you may not have noticed if you didn't know to, to, to look for it and keep an eye out for, um, not only did the production change from the local folks to the the world feed the advertising holdings changed as well it used to be monaco was the only one that had their own advertising deals and controlled what was on the boards this time it was formula so we didn't see magnetti moretti or morelli on the track they're traditionally one that sponsors monaco we saw salesforce we saw uh cutter airways we saw some of the other traditional f1 sponsors on there just it it's very interesting because monaco was always one of those last holdouts mm-hmm. of sort of the old way of things being done their their local crew their local mm-hmm. ads their, their all of that piss and you can now see what they had lost by holding on because the production value had gone up um, those pieces had had changed. The other thing that I didn't notice when I was watching the podium ceremony, because I watch for this kind of stuff, I need to go look and see because normally, right there, either it's either next to the podium or right under the podium, is Sushi Planet. <laughs> I didn't see the sign this year. I don't know. I need to look and see if they're still around. So we Uh-oh. have to go eat at Sushi Planet. Okay. <laughs> You know, step one to that would be that we go to Monaco. Well, yeah, there's that too. Um, the race itself, uh, unfortunately, I think it was still a Monaco race. And, and, and that's the challenge here because as cool as this race looks, with the cars whipping through under the trees and, and through the buildings, I mean, it is the iconic street race. It, it is, in terms of visuals, I think it is what, the street tracks should be striving for, and I think, shockingly, Baku's the closest to that. Mm-hmm. Singapore doesn't come anywhere close to it. it. It looks great, but those roads are so narrow, we still got a very processional race. Now, we did see some great attempts at pass. We saw some actual passes. We had a pass outside of the DRS zone in Monaco. We had more than one. We had a couple on at the hairpin. Mm-hmm. And we had, I want to say there was one or two at Raskas. Yeah. Which is noteworthy enough mm-hmm. that gets commented on. So there was some. Now, was there enough? No. Is it still the person that, you know, that race is a race that is run in qualifying. That yeah. it is just a race that is won in qualifying. And we know that. I have great ideas that I think would make Monaco a better experience. They are all ridiculously expensive and probably highly impractical. But I believe fervently that there should be a Monaco spec car. I believe That's that one option. it should be narrower, more classic in design. I, I think that they, it, honestly, I'd be very pro them getting a, a, a spec car for it. Everybody gets the same car. It's a challenge of drivers. Just so that you have the spectacle, but you get a car that is half the, the width of those cars. Well, there's that. The other thing that, and, and honestly, it was a perfect opportunity. If, and if they didn't realize it between Formula One and um, Prince Albert's staff and, and Royal Automobile Club of Monaco, they missed a huge opportunity. So they pointed out this year in the pre-race, and we've seen the the signs for it in previous years, but they pointed out at pre-race, right at the entrance to uh, Portal in the tunnel, there is that new development going in. 15 acres, going to be on landfill, all of that stuff. That would have been an ideal opportunity to add to the track. You know, yeah. it is the shortest track of the season. And if you could have designed that so it could have accommodated Formula One and 
potentially with passing section, you know, areas that would have been conducive to passing that could have had, and now I don't exactly know, well, I don't know exactly how you do that. Um, they'd have to have designed that intersection a little better so that the cars could come in and go out without crossing over each other. That would be nice. But <laughs> that would well, be nice. That that would add a little more interest in drama. <laughs> They're coming around the curb and it, the light is yellow. They're going <laughs> to <laughs> The only Formula One race with a stoplight in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah no. Um hard no there. And I'm hard pressed to say that I would be pro a building project in a city it's monaco come on that is built around something that happens one day a year i mean like let's be honest let's okay it's monaco though let's remember we had this year and the picture's been popping up all over the place of somebody who decided that they needed to have more monaco with their monaco moment as they're sitting in the harbor with their super yacht and decided that they needed to have their Ferrari F40, which is a multi-million dollar car, sitting on the helipad on the front of their super yacht tied up in Monaco. Okay. I mean, when you have more dollars than cents, this is what you do. So again, Monaco can do this because it's Monaco. Okay, but there's a difference between putting your multi-million dollar car on your multi-bazillion dollar yacht and building an entire community for a day race. I mean, no, at I'm the not... end of the day, Monaco is still a, a municipality. It's still a principality. It still has to run a government and do things. But no, it, it's not that you're building a community for the race. It's that you're taking into account being able to bring the race through there as you build the community. You're, the, the development plans are already there. But if Monaco turned around and said, hey, instead of you know building the roads 15 feet wide like the rest of the city when we designed it 200 years ago, you're going to make the roads 25 feet wide in this area. Okay. It's Especially since it's Monaco and the traffic is so bad because the roads are like, oh, I don't know, two feet wide, whatever it is. But Monaco is known for their ridiculous traffic because the roads are so narrow. Exactly. So what you're going to do is you've got bottlenecks all around you and you're going to put extra wide comfort lanes. Thank you, Kramer. Um, in no, one little bitty, itty bitty little section. And it's not like you're going to relieve traffic because it's going to be bottlenecked on both sides of that. No, because it's Monaco. What they'll do is they'll build the buildings over the roads. Exactly. And have even more tunnels. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a problem with that? I'm going to pivot for a minute. Okay. So you mentioned the yachts. And I do think that we need to call out, because sustainability is such a buzzword for all of F1. Oh, okay. That this year's Red Bull yacht that normally has a swimming pool. that Their barge. Their barge or whatever that has a swimming Energy pool. Barge, yeah. That they jump into. And there's all these great pictures of the drivers in full gear going, mm-hmm. you know. Historic Monaco pictures of... Daniel Ricardo and and all kinds of folks from the team diving into that pool. Exactly. This year, the pool had no water in it because there is a water shortage in Monaco. Yes. It had plastic balls. And honestly, I'm kind of surprised that they just didn't, you know, fill it with water from the med before they towed it into the harbor. Uh, and I mean, I don't blame Red Bull for doing it. It was a really good statement mm-hmm. to say that, you know, in, in recognition of the water shortage and, and drought in Monaco, we're not going to put water on here. They could have. There were ways that they could have done it without impacting Monaco. So, you know, it is worth calling out and noting. But Well, okay. <clears throat> See, you went that way. I went another. Okay. They filled a swimming pool with what? Plastic. Okay, but we don't know. There are biodegradable plastic bottles for all we know that's that's what they did is because they weren't colored they were a pale white so it's entirely possible that these are recycled or something along those lines or they're going to turn around and they're going to take the ball to some orphanage and they're going to go here you go you guys get a ball pit now 
<laughs> they Red could Bull do that too. <laughs> I mean, let's also remember what this thing is. This is a barge that Red Bull builds every year. And it's for Monaco only. Uh-huh. Cost can't be damned. <laughs> I think I had seen somewhere that um, occasionally they get sold, mm. these barges. It's because they don't reuse them. It's crazy. Yeah. Honestly, it's crazy. So other news, and, and actually I think this this is a good thing, although we don't have the full details about it. There's a brief mention of it, but going forward from Monaco, um, drivers now face a speed limit if double yellow flags are waved in a sector. Previously, if double yellows were waved, um, drivers were told that they had to drive slower than what they were currently doing. Um, Occasionally, they would get a designated timing delta Mm -hmm. that would be flashed on their screen and they couldn't exceed that. But a lot of times, doing that resulted in drivers driving faster in other parts of the track or... Um, driving faster under safety car conditions because they were either unlapping or trying to catch up with the pack or something like that. And they could still do it and stay under the time delta. They, they're they now going to get actual speed limits that they need to be driving at in double yellow sections. See, and I think that's a really good idea. It's like a pit lane speed limit. Mm-hmm. You know, you are not going to go faster than X number of miles per hour, period. And no making it up on the other part of the lap. No, nothing like that. You're, this is the speed. The other thing is that they have recognized that when the safety car comes out, that means speed should be slower. Mm-hmm. So there will be a slower speed limit under when, when the safety car comes out than just the double yellow one. This one I think is going to be very interesting to see how they pull off because we hear complaints fairly often from the drivers that the safety car is going too slow so what i don't know is that is whether or not this new speed limit is going to apply just during you know in the sector where the double waved yellows are or is it going to be track wide because if it's track wide i could see a lot of complaints happening for the safety car driving too slow in a non-incident area and there is a safety i know it's going to sound crazy um, but there's actually a safety concern for Formula One cars driving too slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they complain. It's not because they're like absolutely chomping at the bit to go fast. Well, maybe they are. But the reality is the slower they go, the cooler their tires get. The cooler their tires are, the less grip they have. Mm-hmm. So the longer they go in cooling down those tires, when they go again to go fast... They don't have the grip to do that, and they yep. are more likely to spin. And that is a safety concern. Safety cars beget safety cars. Exactly. So, other news and updates. Okay. Um, Mercedes has announced a plan to completely revamp its factory in Brackley. Um, the idea is they're, they're modeling it off of the Silicon Valley-style uh, Parkland-type campuses. Um, but they want to invest about 70 million pounds on its infrastructure and staff. Um, you know, they want it to be kind of a, a pedestrian friendly setting. Now, I don't know if this is going to be public pedestrian or just Mercedes pedestrians. Um, but will include the construction of new marketing buildings, leisure facilities, and restaurants to help improve the team's uh, working environment. So what Toto has has said about this is that the campus was built to accommodate 350 people. Today, they're at 1,250. So they're a bit cramped. Wow. I mean, those triple stacking desks are hard. Yeah. So they're looking to, and actually just in the past five years, their development of the campus was done at an incredible face at an incredible pace and a team has modern state-of-the-art facilities but they're still kind of small so what they're looking to do is expand the campus with multiple new buildings and create a modern style campus lots of breakout areas restaurants state-of-the-art gyms new marketing buildings and getting all the cars out they want it to be a little village with all the amenities and benefits that you would expect from a silicon valley style environment 
so that should be done by 2025. But he also says the other thing that they've done, they've other efforts to help its staff, including a pay raise this year in line with the UK inflation rate wow. of 10%. Wow. Across the board, everybody's getting a 10% raise. So um, he, you know, Toto says this is being done for our people. It's not looking for an architectural prize, which says to me that it's going to be kind of fancy schmancy. Um. <laughs> well, wait, wait a minute. I think that's a dig at McLaren. That's a dig at McLaren and the MTC. Well, it, it, if it's a dig, it's a dig at Ron Dennis. Yeah. Because the McLaren today has inherited that from Ron Dennis. And it is a top-notch facility at MTC. But it was done for architectural reasons, not for, you know, practical reasons. Although it looks really good in, uh, in Andor. Well, it looks lovely in Andor. Um, and, you know, in the cartoon tune. Do you remember that? Like, what oh, happened yeah. to that? Well, that was a Ron Dennis thing. They need to bring that. And a Martin Whitmarsh thing. That needs to come back. That would be cool. Um, our last story. So this year, Formula One, despite fans' opinions otherwise, uh, will be returning to Qatar and the LaSalle International Circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, now... When this deal was first announced, what, two years ago? It was a 10-year deal, and there was talk that LaSalle was going to be a temporary home to Formula One, and that actually the circuit was going to get, the race in the circuit was going to get moved to Doha and be a street race. It sounds like those plans are off the table. Oh, okay. Which, fine. You know, better that we have a track. Um, But LaSalle has said that they have, made some major improvements to the track. Um, so it was a fill-in race when we went there the first time. So the race, had ho- while it had grade one certification, it only ho- hosted MotoGP races. So the pit boxes and the um, all of the various accoutrements in the pits were designed to accommodate MotoGP, not Formula One. Formula One needs a bit more room. Formula One, the teams also like to have, you know, real buildings to house their hospitality and not office trailers and so they have built facilities for the teams they increase the actually the number of pit boxes to more than formula one will ever need okay um they have built a modern uh media center well connected um they have also they're building a new race control structure uh fully modern fully integrated fully up to date with everything they need according to and and i i will say that when i read this i will probably throw up a little in my mouth but the folks in cutter say that now that the world cup is left they intend for formula one to be their annual version of the world cup does that mean that they're going to take the annual uh criticism of all of the human rights violations and the concerns about the workers that were in Qatar that they endured through the World Cup. Because yeah. if that's what they mean Slave by that. practices, all of that fun stuff. Because, you know. Because that's how they built those pit boxes, I am sure. Yeah. Because, you know, we races one, except in the Middle East and China. Yeah. <laughs> we races one, except where we don't. Yeah. All right. So, on you know, on one hand, yay. Nice new facilities and a real track as opposed to, I mean, I, I, I like street races. I just said that for Monaco, but I like when they're on a real track too. I think we tend to get better racing on a more regular basis on a real track, but it's still the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And that's all I got. All right. So just a reminder, we will not have a show next weekend while we're in Barcelona. Well, we're not in Barcelona. Formula One is in Barcelona. Okay. While Formula One is in Barcelona, we will not have a, a show next weekend. Does that mean I can go to Barcelona next weekend? No. Damn. <laughs> I am sorry, but no. <laughs> and uh, we will be back sometime in June. I think we'll be back the following weekend. We should well, be. we never know. You know us. Okay. We will try to be. I, I still believe that we need to start under-promising and occasionally oh, delivering. Oh, is that what we're doing? Under-promising <laughs> and delivering? Got uh, it. Occasionally okay. delivering. All right. And on that note. We'll call it a show.
We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.